Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Private Corporate Council podcast, Women's Voices in Business. My name is Mary Kogut Lowell. I'm a business attorney and the director of the Private Corporate Council program at CPLSPA. And again, with me today is my wonderful co-host, Nikki. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing well. I'm out here in Austin, Texas, um, having a fun time, and I'm happy to be here. I am the assistant director to the Private Corporate Council program, and yeah, it's so nice to see you over camera. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, in this um, this episode of the uh, of Women's Voices in Business, we're going to be talking about business structures, different ways that people can structure a business. So without further ado, we'll go ahead. I'll jump right into that particular subject. Now, there are different kinds of common business structures, and I think most of um, our of our listeners or viewers have heard of sole proprietorships, corporations, You've heard of S corporation, C corporation. In a minute, I'll we'll talk about what the, what that means. Limited liabilities, partnerships, but um, there are a couple of things to go into. Some considerations. So you're starting. To, let's say you want to start a business, and you're trying to say, how should I structure my business? Um, well, we can. Let's talk about some of those considerations that will go into that decision. But before we even get to that, think about. What do you want to call the business? You need to have a name for your business, or are you just going to operate under your own name? If you are going to have um, operate a business, you might want to check and see if someone else is already using that name for your business. Let's say I I have a friend who wants to start a taco business. She's going to call it Tina's Tacos. Well, she can look in, um, if she's in Florida, she wants to check the database for the state of Florida. She can do that on the Division of Corporation website called SunBiz. Um, but she might want to check nationwide. She can go to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office uh, website. On their website, you can check and see if somebody else is already doing business, you know, under that name, Tina's Tacos. So that's one of your big considerations. But let's say once you get past that, which structure, how should you structure a business? Well, it's, a lot of it is going to depend on the liability associated with the business, your financial situation, your goals for the business, um, and different tax considerations. But one really big, big topic that most people should really be thinking about is liability associated with the business. And liability is one of the reasons why most business owners do choose to form some sort of business entity, whether it be a corporation or, or an LLC. And that is so that you can do, you can form a business that's actually a separate legal entity different from you. And that's a way to help distance yourself and your personal assets in the event of some sort of liability associated with the business. So, um, and when I talk about liability associated the, with the business, well, no matter what kind of business you're going into, that's something that you should take a look at. And, and just think for a minute, let's say I want to have a parachute jumping business. Okay, there's certain kinds of risks associated with para, parachute jumping. Um, or let's say I want to teach piano lessons in my home the risk level is not the same as parachute jumping. So 
One of the things you should be doing as a, a potential business owner and entrepreneur is looking at the various risks associated with your business. And the more risks there are, the more likely it is you may want to actually form um, a separate entity. So let's talk a little bit more about the um, different ways businesses can be structured. Now, let's say I want to, let's say I want to um, offer piano lessons in my home. And let's just say that I really don't feel at this point I'm ready to form an entity. It could be I don't have money or whatever. You legally can just go ahead and start offering piano lessons uh, without forming an entity. And that's what we call a sole proprietorship, as long as you're the only owner of the business. But the most important thing to understand about a sole proprietorship is that there's no distinction, really, no legal distinction between the owner and the business. So any debts or obligations of the business will be your own personal debts. Um, typically, if in a sole proprietorship, the individual owner will use his or her name for the business, but that's not necessary. That you don't have to. If you wanted to have a, a, a fancy business name, let's say I'm offering piano lessons and I want to have, you know, Mary's wonderful piano splendor is the name of my business. <laughs> what a well, beautiful name. Yeah, I, I think. Thank you. Um, but if I want to do that, I just have to register a fictitious name. So just be aware of that. So, but the bottom line, a sole proprietorship is an option for you. Now, let's say that we are thinking of forming an entity. What kind of common business structures are there? Well, the most common business entities that we see are LLCs and S corporations. These again, because I mentioned that whole thing about limited liability, that will provide you with limited liability. Um, that way, if your business is sued, you won't necessarily have, um, you know, have a uh, be, be sued and have your own personal assets at risk. That's as long as you, you know, you're operating the business properly. There's something called piercing the corporate veil, where sometimes courts will allow will allow creditors um, to look for, look at the individual assets owned by an owner. But if you're, if you are operating the business properly, um, you should have limited liability. And S corporations and LLCs are similar in the sense that both are what are called pass-through entities. If you have an LLC limited liability company, the default treatment of the IRS of an LLC is a pass-through, meaning that any income of the business is going to be end up being reported on your individual tax return. That's not necessarily true with a corporation. If you want to have that kind of corp, uh, tax treatment, you're going to elect S corporation treatment, and then the S corporation becomes a pass-through entity. So again, S corporations and LLCs, we see we see them very commonly. They're both really good structures. Uh, to use for businesses. Um, other business entities that we see that are not quite as common for small businesses, remember I mentioned S corporations and C corporations? A C corporation is a, is, is, um, a corporation that is taxed separately than the owner instead of being a pass-through. So these are some of the, remember I mentioned tax considerations are some of the things that you should be thinking about. 
just be aware of these issues so that you can talk with both your tax advisor and 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 your attorney, your accountant, and pick the structure that's best for you. And then besides LLCs and corporations, we often see partnerships. And again, a simple partnership um, happens when two or more people decide to form a business together without forming a separate entity. So for example, let's suppose that, you know, Nikki and I decide that we're going to be off, you know, we're going to have a business where we're um, both offering piano lessons. If we don't form a separate entity, that would be a partnership. And that's a simple partnership. And there are different kinds of partnerships. There's limited partnerships, limited liability partnerships, and limited liability, limited partnerships. All of these are recognized in Florida. We won't get into all of those. Just be aware of them um, so that you know that those structures exist. But again, just to recap, when you're starting a business, or even if you have an existing business, it's good to take a look at how the business is structured. You should be structuring that business in a way that makes the most sense for you, given your financial situation, your business goals, et cetera. So briefly, to form, if you want to form a corporation or an LLC, you have to file some paperwork with the state of Florida, assuming you're forming it in Florida. You're going to file articles of incorporation for a corporation, and that could be for a for-profit or non-profit corporation. You're going to file articles of organization for an LLC. Um, this is a fairly straightforward process. We help clients with it all the time. Certainly, if you, if you um, are interested in forming such an entity, we can help you with that. One thing I want to mention, though, sometimes business owners form the entity and then they sort of stop there. As a business owner, be aware, you really should have some governance documents um, to go along with your corporation. So you've heard the term bylaws. If you have a corporation, you should have bylaws. The bylaws are the rules, set forth the rules under which the corporation will be operated. And in the case of an LLC, you have what we call an operating agreement. And like similar to bylaws, they just are going to set forth the rules under which that business will be operated. So those are the basic business structures. Again, the simplest thing to do, you don't have to form an entity. You can, you can operate as a sole proprietor, or if you're in business with someone else, you can form a partnership. But again, many people do elect to form a corporation or an LLC because these are separate legal entities that do give us um, limited liability protection. So Nikki, any questions or comments about any of those business structures? What, what have you commonly seen people do? You know, it really, really varies. Um, I do see a lot of sole proprietorships for folks who, since I work a lot with, you know, influencer marketing, sole proprietorships or, um, you know, uh, DBAs also, um, you know, some people have their their um, business structure, but then they want to use a different name for different things that they're working on. 
Um, I think you really explained that in such a great way. And I just wanted to note that um, private corporate counsel's um, business attorneys are here for anyone who's listening and has additional questions. And you can get a free consultation with one of them. Maybe it'll be Mary. Um, and, uh, and she has such a uh, rich history in this, such a good uh, background in this, that she's ready to help you. The consultations are free. You can visit uh, privatecorporatecouncil.com to request one, or you can call 877-647-7887 to um, chat with Mary or one of the other attorneys, depending on um, what your legal needs are. Okay, thank you, Nikki. And that concludes our discussion on business structures. Coming up, we're going to have a immigration attorney who is going to discuss immigration as it um, affects uh, businesses. So really looking forward to having her. Stay tuned. Hello, and now I'm very happy to introduce our guest for today's podcast, immigration attorney Evelyn Pabon Figueroa. Evelyn, welcome. Thank you, Mary. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be part of today's Women's Voices in Business podcast. And Evelyn, we are thrilled to have you because, as you know, in this podcast, we talk about different issues um, that are pertinent to operating a business. And some one issue that maybe business owners don't think about that uh, we want them to at least have in the back of their mind is immigration law. So I thought what we'd do today is talk about um, some certain issues um, as they pertain to business so that um, our listeners don't have this come up as a problem in the future. So Evelyn, let's say I'm a business owner and my business is growing. I want to hire one or more workers, one of whom, one or more of whom is not a U.S. citizen or a permanent resident. So here's my question. As a business owner, what immigration laws do I need to be aware of? That's a very good question, and I'm really glad that you're having this conversation. When it comes to immigration, um, there's one general information that I'm going to give that maybe we can leave for another podcast because it's it's a little bit lengthier and that is that immigration is a good resource for people that are having difficulty finding talent and investors from within the u.s the immigration law allows for them to be able to find that talent and those investors from outside of the country now if they already have someone that they are hiring and they want to bring in that person as an employee, they have to make sure that they comply with immigration law. Employers in the U.S. are not allowed to hire anyone that is not authorized to work. That means that they have to verify, they are required by law to verify that every person that they hire as an employee is authorized to work. Who's authorized to work? We have U.S. citizens, lawful permanent residents, asylees, people that have employment authorization documents, and people with certain visas like the H-1B visa, those individuals are also authorized to work. And the government puts the burden on the employer to complete Form I-9 and to verify that each individual that they hire is one that is authorized to work in the U.S. Okay, so you mentioned an I-9. So is that a, a record? that a, an employer needs to keep? I mean, um, what do, what, I'm, an empl I'm a business owner. I've got the I-9, I get, I get the, the 
applicant to sign off on it what do I do with that I-9 you have to keep that I-9 you have to keep that on that I-9 with you for several years and you depending on the employee you might have to verify if the employee continues to be authorized to work by this I mean people that have an employment authorization document their document expires so the employer has to verify that that person has renewed or is in the process of renewing that employment authorization. Mm. But what if I'm an employer and I don't know that that has to be renewed? What, what, what happens if I just think, okay, I've got my I-9, I've got the I-9, I'm covered? Well, the form I-9 actually is pretty self-explanatory. However, if the employer has any questions, they should always then consult with an attorney that can provide assistance in terms of which documents exactly they can review to determine that someone is authorized to work and which documents they have to look um, because most of the time, you know, the documents will have an expiration date. So that lets you know that, okay, I have to renew this. But there's a catch. That doesn't apply, for example, for the green card. The green card does have an expiration date, but you don't have to check a green card holder's renewed authority to continue working. Okay. So um, now you mentioned an I-9. Are there any other documents that I, sh as an employer, should be keeping? you are not required to keep them. So the I-9 has a list of documents that the employers will look at. And one thing to keep in mind, the I-9 has a list of documents and the employee is the one that picks which ones to give you. So the employer can't say, well, I want this particular document. I want a U.S. passport or I want a green card. No, you. as long as the employee is providing the documents that are listed in the I-9, that is sufficient. The employer does not have to keep copy of those documents. But if they do, they have to treat every single employee the same. So they can't be, well, this person gave me a U.S. passport, so I'm not going to keep a copy of the U.S. passport, but this person gave me an employment authorization document, I'm going to keep a copy of that. Because then that's discrimination, and they can be fined for that discrimination. Okay. So how would you say, what would be best practice during that process? Um, should employers... Um, should they consistently ask for a particular kind of document or should they leave it to the applicant to provide proof? They have to leave it to the applicant. Okay. So they provide the form to the applicant, the applicant will look at the document and the, doc the applicant will give the document to the employer. As long as the document that they are receiving is one of those that's listed or a okay. combination of the ones that are listed then that is sufficient okay here's another question in terms of immigration law does it make a difference whether i'm hiring someone a worker as an employee versus an independent contractor well there is a difference so if you're hiring an independent contractor you do not have to verify that they are authorized to work however if you are hiring an independent contractor you have to make sure one that they are actually an independent contractor and this is more of a labor law issue and if you know for a fact that the person is not authorized to work then you can still get in trouble um, with the law however if you hire someone as an independent contractor 
Again, you don't have to verify that they are authorized to work. So as long as there's no issue or if there's an issue in the future, then you would not be in trouble. Okay, well, that's very useful information. And by the way, I'll add, uh, the IRS is not bound by what you call a worker. You can call a worker an independent contractor, but the IRS looks at the totality of the circumstances, and basically the IRS has a control test. The more control that you exercise over the worker in terms of where the worker works, the hours, equipment, um, does the person have to wear any kind of uniform? These are all factors that are considered. So, so again, uh, you know, I'm, I, it's, it's uh, as a business owner, you have to, it's good to be aware of what's the difference between an independent contractor and, uh, and a worker, uh, both from IRS perspective, and now we know it's very important from an immigration law perspective as well. There is a difference. So let's say I'm, um, you know, I'm a business owner and I've just decided I'm just going to hire someone, an, you know, an alien who's not authorized. I don't care. It's not a big, I feel it's not a big deal. Um, I'd like to know what are the co potential consequences first for, for me as a business owner, but also what are the consequences for the worker? Well, the consequences for the employer um, could be twofold. There are monetary consequences, so they can be fined, and these fines range anywhere from $230 um, to $22,000. Ouch. Um, and these are per violation. Um, well, that's per a big employee. spread. What, 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 what do they consider to? Well, they look at the amount of um, times the employer has um, violated. So, of course, if it's a first-time violation, then it's a smaller fine, but if it's a recurring thing, then the fines continue to go up. Um, and there could be potential criminal consequences. Um, if the federal government understands that this is not, that, that this is more of an intentional um, activity, then they can file um, criminal charges against the employer. Wow. Yeah. When it comes to the employee, well, the employee could be um, deported from from the U.S. And going back to that form I-9, if let's say the employee checked the box that said that they are a U.S. citizen in order to be able to work, and it turns out that they're not, that's considered a permanent bar. There's no forgiveness for that. So they will not be able to get any immigration benefits in the future, and there's no as of today, there's no way for them to get a waiver of that bar. Okay, very good. Well, Evelyn, I really want to thank you for joining us today, and um, we will invite you back to talk in more more depth on another day. Because again, I you know, forming, owning, operating a business is a complicated uh, is a, a complicated thing. Doesn't have to be terribly complicated, but it's important to have to be aware of these legal issues, and um, so that you don't make a mistake and think that it's irrelevant or or it's petty and nobody will care. Um, these are things. It's always better to operate within the parameters of the law. So thank you. You've ex helped explain that, so that we all, you know, all our listeners can better understand the importance of compliance with the immigration laws, as well as what can happen uh, through violations. What? One more thing. What about um, 
in terms of fine, I'm, I'm assuming if you make an honest mistake, can you still get fined? Um, they're going to look at it case by case basis. Okay. So, um, and it is possible that they would not fine you. Um, but again, it's a case by case basis and it's a determination that the officers will make. Okay. Well, one of the things, one of our recurring themes on this podcast is if you're going to operate a business, do it right. <laughs> and so I guess the theme for, t for today, for today's uh, discussion with Evelyn is if you're going to operate a, a business, make sure you're operating within the, the um, parameters of the immigration laws. So that is our episode for today. Um, our next in our next podcast, we're going to be talking more about forming a for-profit business, and we will have a, as a special guest, we will have a woman, woman business um, owner on here. Um, filing and document requirements for forming a uh, for-profit business can seem like a headache, but uh, with the Private Corporate Council Program team, we can help you through that in simple steps. So thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you the next time. Contact us at 877-647-7887 to learn more about the Private Corporate Council program and to help you and your business on the journey to success.